All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Can you see it? Did you notice? Check when the puck comes right to Pedersen who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! Moments no. You're listening to Canucks Conversation. Quinn Hughes beat reporter here. Like, I don't, I don't cover the Canucks. Yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. A member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I wanted them in at Valentine's Day. Wow. We should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. What Pearl steals, cutting in, shoots, scores! Don't waste all the good stuff on the off air. Let's go.
Hello and welcome. Look at that beautiful Rogers Arena roof if you're live on YouTube. This is the Canucks Conversation Live, delivered by the great folks at DoorDash. Ding dong. Promo code CONVODD. That'll get you 25% off and free delivery on your first order with DoorDash. Today's Friday. It's the end of the week. And Fridays with Harmon Dial brought to you by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. Check them out on ZephyrEpic.com for Pokemon, Magic, Yu-Gi-Oh!, and sports cards. Promo code Hockey Season for five dollars off your order and free shipping all throughout Canada. Speaking of, what's the furthest east you've been in Canada, Harb? Well, the furthest east you've ever gone because you've been to Montreal. Have you been further than that? No, I have. Toronto, you've done Toronto. I've, I've done Toronto, yeah. But in Canada, because I know you've done New York, so that's further yes, east, I believe, yeah. in North America. But Montreal is at the furthest east. I'm the worst person to ask about uh, Canadian geography. I legit, <laughs> I legit wasn't really paying attention in socials class. Mm-hmm. You know that was my worst class in high school. It was the one that I, the only time I've been close to like failing a class was socials. I just, I just had no urge to learn it at all. Nothing in socials. Plus, I was doing like because I'm French. I was French immersion, so I was doing like social studies in French, like learning about history, geography, everything in French. So it like it was, it was that was hard in its own right because my French is not great, but. Socials was the, that's like, I think I finished one year with like a 57% and that was the worst mark I ever got. So for socials in history, I legit, <clears throat> me and my friends found a way to get the old tests mm. from, uh, from people who are greater to ahead of us. So yeah. legit, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't even really study the material. I would just study the exam itself and the questions and the answers to the thing. So that's, uh, that's why I don't really know. What, a lot what about was your best subject in school? Like in uh, high school? And this should be easy for you, a couple of years ago. <laughs> <laughs> sort of uh, a honestly, joke. Honestly, <laughs> I feel like I did pretty well in most of them, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I kind of aced most of my classes. I'd say maybe English. English, really? That was one of my weaker ones, too. I wasn't a big writer. Ironic, considering you're now a writer. Yeah, math was by far my best. I was really good at um, math until, like, grade 12, when things started to get a little complicated. Like, simple math. Oh, I'm good at the the simple math. Even like throwing it back to like grade three, when you'd have the the multiplication tables. Oh, no one was beating me except for Nam Fam. I brought this up in the past. <laughs> the show here. Before we get going, I got to mention. So you know I'm a FIFA guy, right? I play yeah. FIFA, the video game at night. Last night, I run into somebody on FIFA, and I'm doing this thing on FIFA right now where it's like a challenge thing. You have to win like six games with every nation that's in the World Cup, and then you get this like big reward at the end. And I'm grinding through a lot of the teams like. And you have to have like six players from that team on that squad. So Are these like, against bots or no, online? Okay, so you're online. playing online. Yes. So I'm like, I'm rolling through a lot, and like it's pretty easy to win with like Spain and Germany and these yeah. teams with like really good players. And I'm rolling through uh, the Korean team, and it's hard because like they're not very good. They're pretty low rated players, but you have to have six of them in your lineup. And last night, I run into somebody on FIFA, and in the game, it's like all you got to do is score first. You just score one goal in the game, and you win the game. And I run into someone, and my name on, on Xbox Live is like Faber or something. I won't say my full username, but it's on there. It's like Faber's in my username. And I get a DM, and it says Canucks Combo, question mark, from the guy that I'm playing on FIFA. And I'm just like, oh, I was like, Did hell. he let you win? So I'm like, hell yeah. And then right off the kickoff, he kicks it back, back, back to his goalie, and he puts it in his own net. Oh. Run into him again. And he does the exact same thing, and he was just feeding the Canucks combo wins yesterday. My MVP. buddy Bryce and I were loving it, so I got to shout out uh, Tom from the island, an absolute legend, and helping me get some of those uh, much needed wins on for uh, for Korea. Because yeah, I'm not uh, I'm not the best FIFA player, 
But Tom came in clutch last night uh, from the island, living it up and giving me some easy wins on FIFA. What a legend. No, Canucks no, like defensive awareness. Well, I mean... Can't be doing that. Listen, Alex, it was a, it's a challenge, right? I'm working on a tough challenge and a team I, effort. And the the funniest well, where's, the, where's the challenge? Well, that's what, it, it, it's a challenge to get the wins in the first place. So I needed I need some some boosted some, you know, some help here from Tom on the island. I'm giving him a shout out here too. The goalie was kicking the ball in his own net. Hey, hey, when you play for like 45 minutes and you pick up one win, you'll take anything you can get at this point. All goals need assists. It's true. But my buddy Bryce was losing it because he like thinks that, like it's it's great. We've played teams on FIFA before. I remember playing someone on FIFA and their team name was Bruce. There it is. So I'm like, really? okay, this person like is Canucks fan, and I think you sort of get like the region area too. So you kind of play in the Northwest. So it isn't like the most rare thing, but it's like an aggr- he plays an aggressive press. Oh. No guys playing back, just yeah. all offense. <laughs> yeah, it's like a one five nine or whatever the f- formations are. But uh, yeah, shout out! To, I got to give Thomas from the island a shout. Out. He said he listens to the show, been listening for years. Uh, and appreciated it, and that you know, listen, I've given him a lot of content of hockey content. Canucks content. He returns a favor with a couple of FIFA wins. That's I think that's a it's good a trade. trade. It's a fair trade for me. Um, and I got to mention as well, Harm, before we really dive into the Canucks. So I, we talked about this in the past. You haven't done a Van Cast. You haven't done a Canucks combo Friday off of a win. This week you got both. You I did the both. Van Cast off of a win for the first time, uh, and you're here on Friday coming off of a win. Like, what's your energy level like? Is it, how different is it doing into a podcast off a win? Early Christmas. Well, it just gives you something new to talk about, something uh, something positive, and uh, I'm raring to go. I'm, I'm really excited. I made it out to UBC for a practice. That's right. Let's get started there, because uh, it's one of the rare practices where I haven't been to this season. Uh, let's, let's hear from what you saw out there. Tell me, did we see any change to the lines? Was there anything like that, or just same kind of deal today? Yeah, same lines. Uh, so best in the top six with uh, with Mikheyev and uh, and Pedersen, Kuzmenko, Garland, and uh, Studnika still at center. Drives rotating in as um, as a sec- as a secondary piece. Looks like he's still an extra. Uh, D pairs looking the same. It uh, it seems like they're kind of rolling with the same lineup. Um, Longest practice of the season, I'll, yeah. I'll say that. I mean, last week, I don't know if you'd mentioned it, uh, there have been some practices which are like 15, 20 minutes, but this one was like an hour, and most of the players were on the ice after still working on um, drills and their shot and uh, conditioning, whatever. So lengthy practice, team looked uh, dialed in. There was uh, some good intensity, so setting uh, the tone well ahead of uh, much stiffer competition against the Wild on uh, Saturday. Studnik is interesting in the 3C. I'm sure you heard the quote from Bruce Boudreaux on the road there talking about him in that role. He didn't sound super jacked up about him putting Studnik into the spot at 3C. How do you think that that situation is going to go moving forward here? I mean, Studnik is a guy who can play center. I mean, I think he's been primarily a center, specifically when he was in junior, and kind of even as like a, a still pretty highly touted prospect in the HL. He was playing center all that time when he was putting up all those numbers. It's an interesting spot to put him in because you're hoping to kind of unlock the offense that maybe a little bit has been unlocked with drives in that spot. But listen, he's he's a he's I keep saying this all the time. He's one of these long players, right? He's got long arms, long reach, right handed, fits a little bit differently on the line. I also just like I don't know. Sometimes I don't really like the look of three right shot guys playing together. Like something just doesn't feel right about it. Uh, but you are going to see that in role in that role. Uh, but Bruce Boudreau didn't seem super excited about the move to put stud Nika there. You read anything into that? 
Well, I mean, think about it. Going into the season, Boudreaux expected that he'd be able to roll Miller, right. Pedersen, and Horvat down the middle, and he expected that to be one of the biggest strengths of the team. Obviously, the team, as we all know, is much better off with Miller at wing as um, compared to when he's played center. So there is no sort of... Um, the team wasn't built with uh, with this scenario in mind, and that's why it's left such a significant hole. I think with Stadnika, it's interesting because... On the one hand, he was kind of drafted as a center, and he he's a high pedigree pedigree guy, so there is some uh, offensive potential there. But I will say, when the trade was initially made, I sort of asked um, people around the league who were really, really familiar with Stanika's game, and they figured that it, at the NHL level, his game would translate much better on the wing than it would at center. So it's going to be interesting to see whether he can actually fit there. I've liked him on the wing in that fourth line role earlier in the season. I've liked his work rate, um, his energy level. He's won battles. And occasionally there have been offensive, you know, moments of offensive flair, even though I haven't seen him make plays on a consistent enough basis. I I do think that he's in a bit more beneficial role than Dries is in terms of a position to succeed just because Kuzmenko's on that line. Mm. And he can really excel as a playmaker, right? You've got Kuzmenko, who, over the last couple of games, I thought has fit really, really well on that third line in terms of how he can hang on to the puck in the offensive zone off the cycle, how he draws and sucks defenders in, um, how he protects the puck. Garland's gotten going as a result, too, which is huge because when Dries and, uh, and Garland were playing together, for example, you would have leaned on Garland to really be the play driver on that line, especially when Besser was on that line instead of Kuzmenko. Garland obviously wasn't playing up to his potential as a five-on-five playmaker. Now he uh, he scored a couple of games ago. I think he's looking a bit more confident as well. I thought against San Jose, quietly one of his uh, better performances, how active he was um, in that game, almost scored on the back door, drew a penalty. I thought he was uh, energetic in creating uh, turnovers. So I think Stadnika's in a much better position than Dries was just even a week or two ago in terms of an opportunity to succeed because his line mates are really going. And for Studnika, he doesn't have to be the playmaker on that line. He simply needs to ensure that he's winning his battles. And if he gets a scoring chance in the slot in space, given Kuzmenko and Garland's playmaking, he's just got to make sure he uh, he buries those chances. It's, it's a younger player in that spot too than you are with Dries. I mean, you think that the, you know, I don't think you're banking on Studnika developing into your three C of the future, but maybe he develops into something that you can use moving forward as a fourth line guy when your team starts to get a little bit more depth and you know can can play three C's down the middle that you feel pretty comfortable about and yeah I I, I like we we talked about it a little bit we like the move um, I, I think it's you know Dries has had his opportunities offensively he, he clearly gets a lot of opportunities it's just it's he's a finisher at the HL level hasn't quite figured out what it was like what's it going to take for him to be able to be a finisher at the NHL level so it's not like he's a guy who had to be locked in that 3C spot. Sadnika at least deserves a chance in that spot. And what you said about Kuzmenko is interesting because a lot of people could have looked at the start of his season. A lot of people probably have looked at the start and been like, yeah, but he's playing with Pedersen, right? Like, it's really nice to play with Pedersen if you're in Kuzmenko's spot. But he is doing things on his own, which is very impressive. And it's not like he never was that in the KHL because in the KHL he was the guy. He was the guy driving the play at 5-on-5, five five, whether it was creating turnovers or, or doing things in the offensive zone in his own right. So it's not like this is a new thing to him to be, you know, looked at as kind of a guy who can drive a line. It's just interesting to see that he's been able to do that with this line at the NHL level. So I, I've been impressed all around with what that 
trio has kind of looked like so far. And it's not like they're going to blow you out of the water, but again, bottom six matchups, right? Like that three, those three players going up against bottom six other teams, especially the weaker teams, you should be dominating against like, you know, against the San Jose's, against the Anaheim's, the, the Arizona's like that bottom six line should be just eating every night against other teams, bottom six lines that are in, at least in the weaker parts of this league. When you look at the standings for sure. And another thing to mention on the drives front and as it pertains to the whole three C conversation, I'll have to check what the what the date is of when he got recalled as well. But for him, like for right now, the Canucks can send him down without uh, drives requiring waivers. Mm. The other thing to kind of keep in mind and why it's good to kind of get Studnika some reps and not be as dependent on drives is if there's ever ever a scenario where you get healthy bodies back, like Tanner Pearson or, or whomever, and you want to send drives back, you got to make sure that it's a rule. What what is it? It's a certain amount of game. I think it's what is it? Ten games or or maybe he's already pa- maybe he's already passed the threshold. I think in this he might mo- be. I think it's thirty days or ten games. I okay, think. It might he- be twenty eight, but yeah, it's something like that. It's like a month or ten games. Okay, I think. Damn it, I think he might have passed that uh, <laughs> threshold anyway. I was going to say that it's a. Uh, it would have been good to you know interesting to see if they send him down to mm. you know retain the ability to sort of send him down again without requiring waivers. But mm-hmm. if you, yeah, I think it'll be interesting because he's on a two year deal. Like right. He signed dry signed that extension for two years. He talked about how much he likes this organization and the opportunity he gets. I'd be curious to see if a team wants to take a, a swing on him and waivers. I don't think so. I just think that like players like dries, I think teams look around the league and they're like, yeah, we could find another guy like that on waivers any day of the week. It feels like, so I wouldn't be too worried about probably, it. but he's, he's produced a little here yeah, and there and that's true. Got some power play time as well. Let's get to uh, something else from practice today before we dive into uh, Canucks at 500. Um, you, you tweeted out a quote from Bruce Boudreaux. You can pull this one up, Alex, um, of JT Miller, not getting any time in overtime. And Boudreaux mentioned that, you know, he was one of the guys that wasn't going that day. And uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't read it too much. Like I wasn't, I, I noticed, like, okay, Miller didn't get a shift there in overtime, but it's not like it surprised me either. I didn't think he had a very good game through and through, and I even, like, think of the quote that he had a few weeks ago, uh, or even just, like, I think it was about a week ago when he's just, like, how he just didn't like overtime, right? Like, he, you know, he's not a player who needs to be out there in overtime when you have this other depth in the four group, so it didn't surprise me that much. I think he is a kind of on the edge of being, like, the fifth, sixth best forward for your team in overtime anyways, because with him it's... You're going to win or lose the game with Miller on the ice in overtime. That's just how it feels to me. Yeah, I'm just surprised it took this long, actually, for Boudreaux to hold Miller accountable given mm-hmm. how often we've kind of seen these um, this extreme volatility in his play, especially when you are trying to build a culture where you want guys to play with better defensive habits, to be more more responsible from a two-way perspective, to give a more consistent effort. I'm just surprised that it, that it took this long, and I think Boudreaux was right to make that decision for overtime because kind of like what you mentioned, when JT Miller's on the ice, he's either, like we saw uh, a few games ago in the other San Jose over, overtime game, he's either going to win you the game where he sent that stretch pass to Kuzmenko for the breakaway, right. or he's going to have some sort of brutal back check or giveaway, which, uh, which hands the game over to the opposition, and given how lackadaisical he was with his puck management against San Jose the other night, it would have been way too risky to have him playing in overtime, especially when Besser and Garland were playing some of um, playing better, playing some of their better games of the season. And, and kind of like what you mentioned, I didn't even read into it that much. I didn't, it didn't register in my mind as like an, Oh my God, JT Miller's not playing in overtime. He's being benched sort of thing. Yeah. So uh, it just 
came off as something that was totally logical, and I can't see why uh, JT or anybody else on that team should uh, should have a problem with that decision in that moment. And that's what Boudreaux said. He's been one of his better players for 80-something games, however long Boudreaux's been here. Most nights, the biggest surprise, The biggest surprise in that quote was that he... Uh, was that Boudreaux called Miller their best player? Yeah, that's... That's that's the only surprise in in this whole situation. I mean, he was really he was very good in the he was end of last season and the you know when Boudreaux took over he was great like he was putting a lot of points. Um, best player, I don't know about that, especially not this season. Um, but let's talk about this season a little bit because the Canucks now are at five hundred. They've had a couple days off here away from games. They're going to get back at it tomorrow night. Um, Five hundred is an interesting thing to see where the Canucks are at up to this point. Twenty-seven games into the season, they've got a twelve, twelve, and three record. What has gotten them to five hundred after losing their first seven games of the season? I'm going to get started with having some nice wins in the pro scouting department to get them to this point. Uh, I'll just I'm going to throw out four names, and you can go whichever direction you want to go here. Uh, Dakota Joshua, Ethan Bear, Neil Zaman, Ilya Mikheyev. Which one do you kind of want to start with here? Let's let's say which one is, and you can take context into this of what you have to pay them, what the contract is, or how they were acquired, whether it be a trade or, or mm-hmm. the contract. But which is the biggest win of Mikheyev, Amon, Bear, and Joshua? To this point in the season, at least. To this point, I'd say Mikheyev hmm. might come as a bit of a surprise because I think from a value perspective, you could definitely argue Bear or, or, uh, or Joshua. But Mikheyev... It just feels like every time the teams needed a third period goal or or a spark in in a situation where the team doesn't have much life, that he's kind of been the one to give them that. It really comes with, out of nowhere with McCabe a lot of the time, yeah. Right? And think about the moments where he's sort of broken through offensively. Seattle game, which was their first win of the season, mm-hmm. at a time where the team was totally spiraling. You think about... Um, the San Jose game in late November where they came from behind in that, uh, in that third period, that third period, by the way, where they were able to tie it and then, um, and then win in overtime eventually thanks to Kuzmenko. They were gassed because it was three games in four nights, second half of a back to back. The third period is always what kills you. And that Pedersen line was the only one that was going. It was the only reason that the Canucks got two points out of it. Mikheyev and uh, and Patterson came through clutch there. You think about um, the comeback against Montreal. Obviously, Mikheyev was a was a huge part of that as well. So it feels like his ability to not only contribute with his speed, with his two two way value, but also now actually being able to bury the puck in the back of the net, which mm-hmm. was one of the biggest question marks. Was could he deliver enough offense to justify a near five million dollar cap it and justify a permanent top six role? I think that's been a huge difference maker, especially the opportune moments where he stepped up. I'm going to go with Ethan Bear, I think, for mine, because I think that I think Ethan Bear right now, if you're picking defensemen in like a draft of what you want to do in a team for this Canucks squad only, like Bear is my second guy. I'm yeah, probably going with sure. him number two, um, whether it be cap space value or just in general, second best defenseman on the ice. I There was a time in that game, uh, the most recent one against the Sharks, late in the game when they had Ethan Bear playing with Quinn Hughes. And I was thinking in my mind, I was like, is this the best puck-moving defenseman that Hughes has had over his career? And listen, I, like, you could say that like Chris Tanev at the time was there was good. It was a, a calming influence for sure. But I just like, 
I saw how much space Ethan Bear was able to get on the ice when Quinn Hughes was his partner, and I was like, wow, this these are really easy breakout passes for Bear in this situation because he's able to just like do that, make that pass. And I, and I think back to when the Canucks were down a couple of years ago when they were losing, they, they would play Tyler Myers and Quinn Hughes late in games to try and get a little bit of offense going, and you wouldn't see the consistent simple passes from Myers. But you're seeing that with Bear. He He's also kind of just elevated what the, the pairing – of OEL was at the start of the season when it was just an absolute mess for OEL. He's, he's lifted him out of, you know, at least a little bit of the slump. I think OEL didn't have a great game last game, but it's just Ethan bear has like, he's made his mistakes. I'm not saying he's perfect, but he has been to me the second best defense in here. And to, to know the value that you had to give up to get bear, just being a late round pick, like you're, you're feeling pretty good about that in the pro scouting department as well, being able to go out and get that player who it sounded like the way that uh, Jim Rutherford talked about it. It was like, months in the making and I think yeah. that was kind of clear that Bear wasn't getting some time uh, on Carolina but he's coming in and really I think has been the piece that I've liked for the value that you had to give up to get him and it'll be interesting to see what they do moving forward with him in a contract next year yeah his impact relative to what it took to acquire him is by far the best out of the four right um I guess reason I, I just felt strongly about the Mikheyev impact but mm-hmm. you're absolutely right where Bears well sorry so back to what you said about the McKay, I found it interesting he brought up McKay because of his contract, right? Yeah. But at the same time, to me, he's he's being worth it right now. And I think that's the thing yeah. that, that is kind of impressive the most here is that a lot of people looked at that contract, and, and we did too. We looked at it and said, wow, it's kind of interesting that the Canucks' big splash in free agency is to go after a winger. That's yeah. weird. Like, I don't think that makes sense. And he's come in here and, and looked the part, helped the penalty kill, but not only the penalty kill, but to me it's like, him helping Pedersen in the defensive zone, I, I said this earlier in the week, you just don't ever worry about Mikheyev. Like, you don't worry about what he's going to do defensively, and it's kind of almost in the same way of you bringing up the offense there. Like, he's quietly just doing a great job. Like, it's not like he's in the defensive zone. Like, if the other team has the puck, Mikheyev's stealing it every yeah. time, and he's getting the puck. It's just like, he's just solid. Solid in, like, that defensive way that you don't have to worry about him. And I think that's huge for what we see from some of the other forwards on this team anyways. Well, he's unique because so many of the Canucks' forwards in the top nine are one-dimensional. He brings a different attribute with how consistently he wins his battles along the wall, how quietly effective he is on the forecheck. His speed and the way that he's able to... um, You know how other teams, when they break the puck out, they dump it in, and against a defenseman like Oliver ekman Larson, OEL won't even have the chance to break it out. Like you Mm. You can't even call his retrievals turnovers because he loses the race to the puck in the first place. Right. That's what Mikheyev does for the opposition's defenseman, where even when the Canucks don't have an opportunity to break into the offensive zone in a clean way, they don't have a lot of space. They just send a lob into a corner and Mikheyev's first onto it. And boom, you got an offensive zone possession just by virtue of his speed. And I'm thinking about his speed, his two way value, the, the ability to win the battles with the size. I just don't know how many, forwards the Canucks have in the top nine who can provide a similar sort of two impact. He's a unique player Mm -hmm. that the Canucks don't have enough of in terms of the ingredients. And you talk about how permissive the club has been defensively as a whole this season. I'm not saying you need a roster full of Ilya Mikheyev's because uh, you, uh, he's from an offensive perspective perspective. He's definitely complimentary piece, but those are the sorts of players that at least help stem the bleeding from a defensive perspective and uh, do back check consistently. And what's funny enough is despite everything he's brought to the, t- brought to the table, 
I think he can be even more impactful as a two-way play driver. I think we've seen the best of Mikheyev offensively. I think I still think that there's more to deliver from that two-way element. But yeah, I think he is a, a unique element. And going back to what you mentioned um, with uh, with Bear, it, he just he's by he's just by far their most dynamic right-handed defense. I mean, he's yeah. kind of brought the impact that you wanted out, out of Tyler Myers. Mm. With Myers kind of unfortunately regressing to his 2021 season form where the consistency isn't there. There are too many defensive mistakes. You can't really rely on him to defend the rush on, uh, on, um, and, and have any sense of and trust and safety in that. So he's been massive. I, I kind of, uh, cringe to think where OEL might be with, uh, without him. He's really done, uh, an important job stabilizing because now OEL doesn't have to worry as much about defenses on retrievals and breakouts and the dynamic parts of his own game. And I think what worked for OEL last year was not having to look like, look at his role on a pairing and think that he's the primary puck mover always has to move the puck because he could like trust Myers a little bit and they could both kind of settle into that defensive way. And I think that's what he can do with bear. Like OEL doesn't have to be the primary puck mover anymore because you can trust Ethan bear to be that. You can let OEL kind of what I hope he does. If if there's any way to, you know, milk some of these years out and have this contract not be the worst possible thing ever happened to the Canucks is like him to just learn how to be a defensive defenseman and make that Edler adjustment that we kind of saw uh, through his career as he gets older. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but like at least that's some way to justify the seven million dollars not just being a complete destruction to what your team is on the ice, but like something else too with Mikheyev. I find it so interesting that he went like, listen, he's fast as hell. We know that Mikheyev is fast, but he doesn't waste strides because I feel like his lanes are so smart. Like he does Mm. a really good, and that works so well with Pedersen where it's like, okay, I know where Mikheyev is here. I know where he's going to be in three strides. I can get him the puck in that spot. And that's, what's really helping whether it be like in the neutral zone or in the offensive zone. I just, I think that really is some part of his game that like, yeah, he's fast. He's really fast, but he doesn't waste the strides. Like he he knows where to go with smart players, and that's been working out with him uh, so far with Pedersen. Anyway. That's a really good point you brought up because there was one play clipped. I think it was again the the November game where they played San Jose, where Pedersen sent sort of a, a, a one of his patented Sedin uh, like bank passes off the end boards, mm. and it's funny how McKay have timed that um, that retrieval where he barely expended any energy. He waited until the right moment when Pedersen let the puck go, and then he just took a couple of um, of long strides, not really exerting a ton of effort, leaned in using his size, and then won the puck. And I was like, that was interesting Smart. because I liked it because he didn't waste energy. So for mm. the rest of the shift, he he still had um, his legs going. So I uh, fully agree there that he's been intelligent using that speed as well. And, and that smarts is interesting in making comparable to Connor Garland, who makes more money than Mikheyev. But you brought it up where he's a versatile forward. He also has a good fit with this team, right? Like instead of Garland, who can't seem to find a spot in this lineup that makes sense with him this season, like Mikheyev has been able to find that. And I think that's an interesting way to look at it too when you look at like cap space value for a team anyways. The biggest question is, ask yourself how many wingers how many Canucks wingers do you trust right now again would you trust right now against Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl hmm. 
You have to match up tomorrow, round one of the playoffs, let's say. Yeah. I mean, I know they probably won't play Edmonton in the playoffs just because of, you know, whatever, the, the way the standings shake out. But let's say, hypothetically, you were playing Edmonton in the playoffs tomorrow. You have to shut down a line with uh, McDavid, Drysettle, Evander Kane. Top lines loaded up. How many how many Canucks wingers could you trust from a defensive perspective for that matchup? It's probably one. Like, I was just trying to think of putting a line together in my head, and I'm like, their best bet might be the fourth line. Like, that that Joshua, because you're playing Pedersen with, it would be Pedersen and Mikheyev. Yeah. But who's the other winger? Like, that you're going to trust. You're going to lose that. Like, listen, you're going to lose that battle if you're any team. Yeah, you can't put a line together that's yeah. going to win that battle, but to at least limit them, I can't think of one. You it, might have a better bet with the fourth line. Exactly, and that's goals. where, and that's where, again, Mikheyev brings something different. Is is mm-hmm. kind of just the point that I'm uh, I'm trying to bring up. Yeah, it's a good spot for him to slide into. Let's get to um, because I built this amazing graphic for the people on YouTube here. Higher or lower harm? I like uh, I like throwing these at uh, either you or quads. I just I don't prepare you for any of this, but I just throw all these higher or lowers at you. And I built this. Speaking of, <laughs> of uh, FIFA, built some FIFA cards for us there. Um, what are these? Are our uh, pickleball stats? Yeah, these these actually could be our pickleball stats. But see, I don't know why mine's still a little unknown. I've, you've got the ninety nine rating. You got a good shot, Sounds good pace, right. good passing. Your defense uh, fifty, yeah. not the best, but mine's worse at forty seven. I've still got uh, some unknown rates, but speed, agility, power. Uh, the why higher. Is, uh, why is my physicality ahead of yours? Well, I mean, I didn't uh, adjust you need, you need everything too much. You need a bump yeah. there. I think you're uh, Lewandowski on this one. Uh, the the striker. There from from Bayern. <laughs> um, anyways, I just threw some faces over there. It, higher or lower? I like it. The graphic looks great over here on YouTube. Uh, and for podcast folks, uh, I put my face on some of these uh, FIFA cards that you get in FIFA. Let's get to higher or lower arm. I'm just going to throw. Right. I got a bunch here, and we only got about 15 minutes left in the show. So let's just, you know, we only get you here once a week. I'm just going to throw them at you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Elias Pettersson, higher or lower than 90 points by the end of the season? 90? 90. Higher. 
Higher? Okay. As long as he's healthy, that feels mm-hmm. like a slam dunk. Okay, interesting. So you're, I mean, what is he sitting 10th, I think, right now in the NHL? Yeah, he's on like a hundred and low hundreds sort of pace right now. Do you see it? If he's healthy, a hundred? That's the real question mark. I, right. I thought the higher okay. lower you're going to send me was a hundred, and that would have me really thinking. I mean, that would be very good for the Vancouver Canucks. I I would love to see it more than anything. I, I just think that that's a really big step that's for a tough. player to take, and that step is so tough. Even that's if you're tough as on good, a bad team, too. Yes. That, Which, that's exactly I mean, maybe true. the Canucks aren't a bad team, but that's they're not a great anyways. team. Right. I think that's, that's going to be, if he takes that step, that's incredible. I'd love to see it more than anything, um, especially with this team and the way the season's likely going to kind of play out here. I just, I think that's a huge step to take for a guy who hasn't even been point per game. Right, like especially when you career. consider that on top of his two way value. Exactly. Yeah, you're you start t- you're to really superstar. I mean, you you get a hundred points. There's probably only like maybe ten players doing it's that. It's too bad that the Canucks have been such a tire fire. Otherwise, Pedersen should be drawing national attention right now. Yeah, that's true. And on top of that, it's not like he's even. I don't think he's really got going on the power play yet either. Oh, too, he has right? Like especially the shot. But yeah. I also think that like aside from the Kuzmenko tappins, like. He hasn't really gotten going or gotten kind of those loser points yet. It feels like every point that he's getting is like pretty damn earned for Patterson up to this point. A lot of five on five points, obviously, as well. All right, next one. Higher or lower? Uh, this might, you might have to go. Yeah, you know, you'll be okay with this one. Canucks penalty kill finishing 25th in the league. Will it be higher than that or lower than that by the end of the season? What's it at right now? Right now, the penalty kill is 29th. With 68.7%. So they'd have to improve a little bit, but also jump some teams to get to 25th in the league. That's a good question. I would go lower just because I'm not as sold on the goaltending situation right Mm. now. Yeah, and that's not been great so far this season. Well, she's the save percentage up there of 881. Even when when Demko comes back, I, I just don't. I don't know if he's going to find his form right away, which was a big part of the penalty kills turnaround last season. And putting the shooting percentage and the save percentage into account, uh, the team is third in the league right now in shooting percentage, 31st in save percentage. So I think you're going to see a little bit of a balance out there. Like, I don't think the Canucks Mm -hmm. are going to finish third. I also don't think they'll finish 31st in save percentage. Uh, But even going to expected goals, they're not doing a good job defending. At 5-on-5, 30th in the league for expected goals against per 60. Um, another one here, as we can kind of see the stat up here for people on YouTube, uh, the power play currently six sits sixth in the league. Say that five times fast. Uh, they're clicking at 28.1%. Will the Canucks power play finished sixth in the league, higher or lower, higher, higher this season. So you think I, they get into the top five? I do. I think that the top unit is just so dynamic at this point and the chemistry that they have, the amount of weapons where it, there isn't just, if I'm pre-scouting the Canucks penalty kill right now, there are just so many different ways that unit can score. Right. I mean, it isn't just the Bo Horvat in the bumper anymore. There's the uh, Kuzmenko backdoor has been working a lot with, with Pedersen making that pass. Uh, Pedersen himself has, uh, has the one timer, which he hasn't even, other than the one goal that he had, he hasn't even really been able to unleash that yet. Yeah. So that's what teams are looking at right now. It feels like the way that you're seeing them defend is like the, the biggest strength. So maybe when teams start to lean off of that, that's when that part gets unlocked. I I talked to JT Miller about this a couple of weeks ago 
And he's like, listen, it, it, you know, sometimes it takes a few years of a group to like really figure it out. And we've talked about how much skill there is in that five man unit when they go out there and yeah, you're together for a few years. You can really start to develop something with the power play. And that might be what we're starting to see this season as they continue to add. And then the Kuzmenko thing, like, you know, I, I saw, what was it like nine of his 13 goals or something are uh, just like tippins. And it's like, and then some, some people are like, oh, you know, like I, even hearing like Shorty on the broadcast the other day, like, oh, I could have scored from there, right? But like, <laughs> yeah, if you got yourself in that position with the stick there, but because Manko does a smart job of, of doing that, right? It's yeah. not just any player can come in and do that. Otherwise, you know, you'd have Alex Chason still on this yeah. team making league minimum playing there. So um, I, I think they can get into the top five as well. So we got a lot of, uh, everybody in the chat here. Corey, Lisa, and they, they even, stay over. Even recently when they haven't... Uh, I think the power play's cooled off a little bit recently. Mm-hmm. Maybe the last few games or so. I mean, they've still been scoring, but like, <laughs> even my point is, even when they have stretches where they're not converting on power play opportunities, they still look really dangerous. You still think that they're on the cusp of scoring, right? Danger. It looks. They da- still look. Da- they look mm-hmm. dangerous every time they're on the ice. So that to me is just uh, a really positive sign. Uh, a couple more here in the chat I want to get to. Uh, Don says, JT Miller shot. You have to take that serious, too. Yep, that's yeah, one of those was, points. And uh, Sonny uh, says, "If we just need a Hughes bomb. or You know, it doesn't even need to be a bomb, but I think if, if Hughes can figure out just a little way to even have his wrist shot be that spot or work on that slap shot a little bit, that would... I mean, you'd have five positions that you feel super confident in scoring from. I, I really like the um, the point uh, that the... Who, who brought up the Miller shot? Uh, Don did. Don brought up a great point because I was going to mention it, but there were so many other threats. That was a big part of it because I talked to JT after um, after the game again, the season opener against uh, Edmonton, where the power play, where we were talking about the the special team, the Canucks' special teams were a disaster. They'd been scored on the penalty kill twice. The power play had allowed a shorthanded goal. I talked to him about the power play, and he said that Edmonton did a really good job of forcing Miller wide. And once he was forced wide, he said that he didn't have the threat of a shot. And because of that, the seam pass across was too predictable. I see. Yeah. And we've seen that over, you know, uh, over games is when Miller's, a- when Miller's able to come off the flank a little bit and he's coming downhill a little bit closer to the middle and teams are, let's say, cheating for the pass across, that's where he can perfectly place a shot and uh, and make the make the goaltender or the PK pay for it that way. So yeah, wouldn't shock me at all to see Canucks power play in the top five. Yeah. this season. All right, uh, next one, Bo Horvat. I feel like I almost put this a little conservative too. Thirty nine goals by the end of the season. I'll I'll go higher. Higher? You think he's into the forties then? That's yeah. kind of the point of that. Yeah, I I think. Um, I mean, what's he at right now? Twenty. 20, but he's clicking at 20. like a 22% shooting percentage. So of course, I think, like he's you know, going to regress for sure. Right. I'm, I'm not expecting, let's say, like a 50-goal campaign. But, mm-hmm. um, I mean, you, you need, what, another 20 goals in how many games? Yeah, another almost, you know, 55 games still, I think. Yeah, that seems really, like, let's say it's 50, like, let's say it's 55 hypothetically. It might not yeah. be exactly that. I mean, you'd be asking him to clip at a 29, 30-goal pace the rest of the way. Like, that seems like... Uh, Pretty doable. Especially yeah. a contract year. I don't know what it is. I, I've been meaning to <laughs> do a study on this. Yeah. Look at the number of players that had massive breakouts in contract years last season when it come, when it uh, came to guys like Nazim Kadri all of a sudden became an 87-point in 71 uh, games sort of guy. Uh, Philip Forsberg scoring uh, over 40 goals, being over a point per game. There's just something about a contract year and the motivation to get paid just... 
all the about the psychological money, uh, aspect. You yeah. should know this, Harm. It's all about the money. Here comes the money. I think agents would be interesting to have some quotes from on a story like that. Yeah. Uh, Quinn Hughes, 73 points on the season. I'll take the over. Take the over on that. Especially the power play clicking the way it is. Mm-hmm. And um, as long as the power play keeps going and as long as he um, continues staying uh, healthy, I think uh, I think he's got a good shot at it. Dakota Joshua, 11 goals on the season. Is that five right now? I think six right six now. Six right now? I mean, he only, only needs five. It's cooking good, but I think the process for the way that yeah. he's scoring these goals is, is something that's sustainable. Yeah. I, uh, I'm i going yeah, over I'll, there. I think he'll get 12-ish, 13. I think 11 might be right bang on with where he finishes. Well, it's not an option, Harm. Higher or lower? We'll go higher then. <laughs> All right. Here's a, we got a couple of bigger ones here. Adding draft picks from trades this season. Three. Higher or lower? This season. Lower. Lower than three? Yeah. That's unfortunate. Adding prospects of Danila Klimovich's value or higher. All you need to do is add one of those. Do you think they'll be able to add one of those? Yes. Higher than Danila Klimovich's value. All right. This is a good one. Playoff series over the next 20 months. One. Higher or lower? So this is this season and next? This season and next How many they play in or how many they win? Just one. Just one playoff series to play in. Okay. Participate in. Will they make the playoffs in the next... Lower. This season, next season. Yeah, I think lower, too. I, I think that's unfortunate. Um, Linus Carlson, NHL games this season, six. Higher or lower? Will Carlson get into some NHL games this year? Higher. Higher. I think so, too. I think he'll get a run later on. Part of season. my bet is predicated on the Canucks at some point falling out of the playoff picture. And making some moves. Yeah, I mean, you know. Cole Lind. How many games did Cole Lind get down the stretch in that uh, 2021 season? Right. Uh, no, like 12. Not, did he did 12? Something like okay, that. I mean, I, well, I, I, okay, maybe not 12, but he got, there were a lot of games where I was like, man, that guy was invisible. One <laughs> sec. I actually want to look it up. Yeah, now. I'm actually a little curious. I don't think he was in that many games. He wasn't in, in that many, but it was a solid chunk. He got seven. Seven, okay. So, so he would have been over in the right? Carlson so, situation. Okay, last one, and then we'll move on to uh, a couple other things I want to bring up, especially talk about a little bit about Luke Shen. Final one. Bo Horvat's next contract, the average annual value. $8.3 million, higher or lower? I'm going to start. I'm going to say higher. I think it's going to be higher than 8.3. Potentially. And we're talking, you you picked the over on 40 for goals. Contract year, free agency. We heard the Frank Valley thing about $9 million from one team. And as Frank said, it only takes one. So $8.3 million, I'm going to take the over. I don't know if I'm taking the over at nine, but I think 8.5 could be legitimate for Horvat. It's the over is definitely possible, but I will take the lower. Take the under, eh? I will take the under just because I think recency bias is a hell of a drug. Mm-hmm. And Horvath's what, like he's in the top five in the league for goal scoring right now, right? But I think there's some shooting percentage regression that's going to come along the way. Mm-hmm. I again, I, I think he's going to have hit forty goals, but for him to be, let's say, an eight and a half million dollar player. I think he's going to have to sustain this type of, you know, top 10 in the league and goal scoring sort of pace. He's probably going to need, if he gets dealt at the trade deadline, uh, a strong playoff run to boost his value, which is definitely possible. But my point is, I still think there's more work to be done. I think he, I think it's definitely, if I was a betting man right now, I think he hit, I think he clears eight, but over 8.3, that's around where I'm like, ah, that's might be a little bit too, too much. And so, it's not a confident under, though. I'll say yeah, that. This one's got the chat going. Uh, Don says he takes a cut to stay captain. 
Uh, Drago says lower if he stays a Canuck. Corey says if he gets 40, he's getting nine. So, I mean, <clears throat> all interesting. I don't know if he takes that much of a cut to stay a Canuck. I, I don't It's either. not like the organization has done him. I mean, they picked JT Miller over him. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's really as simple as that. I mean, players want to... Um, Players want to feel special. They mm-hmm. want to uh, feel really, really. Especially valued. when you have a C on your chest, exactly. Right? Like that's an intro. That, that's if I was in, if I was in Bo's position, there's no way I'm taking a hometown Ooh, discount no. after you prioritize JT over me. And there's no. not. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. The Canucks did Horvat wrong, and they like it's not a disrespect thing. Mm-hmm. But if I'm in the player's shoes, it's like okay, you prioritize the other guy. That's fine, but don't expect me now to. Then take a hometown discount, especially when you aren't in a winning environment. Yep. Like, what are you going to do? So who are you? Like, what? That, Who's that, that extra discount hundred thousand? Yeah. yeah. Like, what? That's uh, going to help fund OEL's retirement fund. <laughs> yeah. No. Exactly. <laughs> so his retirement package. <laughs> yeah. He better be buying some dinners. Uh, final thing as we get to the bottom thing on the ticker here, closer to a cup. I, I wanted to bring up uh, the Ben Hankinson tweet, who uh, the agent uh, for Luke Chen shared this tweet and. Uh, Stefan Roger, my arch enemy at uh, Canucks Army, wrote about Luke Shen being, you know, this trade starting for Luke Shen as a first rounder. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, listen, if a team is super desperate, maybe they this is the type of, depending on how the market goes, it could be possible. Um, I don't think so. I, I think that a second round pick for Luke Shen would be like, wow, you cannot say no to that. If I'm the Canucks and anybody comes at you with a second round pick, you do not say no to that. I'd still be fine with a third. If you walk out of here trading yeah. Luke Shen for a third-round pick, awesome. If the market goes the way that it went for Tyler Mott and you end up getting a fourth, fine, right? That's fine. That's the way I look at it. Like, it'd be incredible if you got a first. It'd be great if you got a second. It'd be good if you got a third. And I'd be fine if you got a fourth. That's the way that I look at it with Luke Shen for the trade market here. And a lot of people are saying, listen, leadership, you know, Ben's tweet's a good example of it. Uh, consistent pattern of being a top four player, he says. <laughs> Versatility play on any pairing. Plays low mistake hockey. Physical and tough. Kills penalties. Veteran leadership and winning personality and a two-time Stanley Cup champion. Ben, just an agent going to bat for his boy here with the with the pump-up <laughs> sheet here on Twitter. Uh, and shout-out to Ben Hankinson for sharing our tweet. Uh, but what do you think about the return for Luke Shen? I well, know you're not uh, on the first uh, first round pick. Uh, yeah, I mean it was. Train. I read it. Should, it needs to start at a first round pick. Oof, yeah, and I was like, I mean, I, I don't buy that personally. I mean, the examples that um, that uh, Stefan brought up, for example, he brought up Ilya Labushkin going for a second round pick. I don't think he. Um, Stefan does great work, by the way. This is not me. Yeah, like, that's up for debate. <laughs> <laughs> don't let your personal grudges right, get yeah, into yeah, this yeah, favor. But no, he does great work. I don't mean to sort of um, disparage him well, or go whatever. get him harm. Uh, get but his ass. <laughs> I'm just disagreeing here where uh, with the Lubushkin for a second round pick or whatever, I don't think he understood that the reason the Leafs paid a second round pick was because they were dumping two and a half million uh, of, uh, of Nick Ritchie's uh, cap hit. The Leafs are always pressed up against a salary cap and Ritchie was signed um, that offseason to sort of be a potential top six piece. He failed on Matthews's line and he was kind of useless there. So that draft pick wasn't so much for Labushkin. It was more to dump Richie's contract, which was two and a half million, not just for last season, but it was for um, for this season as well. It's basically the um, the equivalent of what the Canucks did with the Dickinson trade. Yeah. Where it's not that the Canucks gave up a second round pick for Riley Stillman. 
it's like, okay, we wanted to dump Dickinson's salary and then and then we it's, also get a defender back. That trade's almost in a way that I see the Brock Besser deal going down, where you take some money back from somebody else, then you see a second-round pick. It's almost yeah. the opposite, right, if the Canucks were to do it with Besser. It's a different look, obviously, because yeah. Besser's a valuable player for you, a little bit more valuable, a lot, quite a bit more valuable than Dickinson, but to a degree, I understand what you're saying. Like, the value, and we talked about this, I think, last week, but the value that changes so much when the cap space is being returned as you're making an upgrade for a player has to come and be balanced by draft picks. Yeah, so... I guess I disagreed with the uh, with, with the trade comparable used there and in terms of a potential return. And I think ultimately Luke Shen, he's a top four player on the Canucks. I don't think he's, I don't think contenders are going to view him as a top four defenseman. Right. I think they'd more view him as he's the perfect third pair sort of guy. And, um, and as a result, I don't think teams are paying. Like the other example brought up, I think was Ben Sherratt. Sherratt or like David Savard even. Check the Tom and Ice um, numbers for those guys. Mm. It's way higher. Sherratt was averaging, what, like 22, 23 minutes a night in Montreal. Sherratt right. uh, that uh, that year, b- before eventually going for a first-round pick um, to the Panthers, Sherratt was playing top four minutes with Shea Weber on a shutdown pair, leading the Canadiens to the Stanley Cup final. Well, think about That's Shen. not comparable to Shen. Like, Shen, okay, he's playing, I think, 17 minutes a night. Like, first mm-hmm. of all, there's already such a big minutes discrepancy there. But there's a huge difference between playing top four minutes on this Canucks team versus on a team that went to the Stanley Cup final. And even in the case of uh, um, Savard, he's been he was a top four defenseman forever in Columbus. Yeah. Whereas Shen, he's had a resurgence recently, but he's a guy that's been through the ringer. He's a guy that's been on waivers. He's a guy that when uh, Tampa won their Stanley Cups, he often was a seventh defenseman. So. I just don't think that he has the cachet of a bona fide top four defenseman the same way Sherratt and um, and uh, and Savard would. Yeah, he doesn't come into a contending team and upgrade their top four. Yes. Right, and you look at his role with the Tampa Bay Lightning in two seasons in regular season play, 63 games with them, average ice time, 11.26. There and you I go. Think it's not like he's gotten that much better. I think he's found a really good spot here in Vancouver. But he's not going somewhere else to play 18 minutes. Yeah. He's bringing a lot to your locker room, though. I know that. For There's sure. no he's, doubt in that part. Ben's that's not wrong there. My hope is that if I'm the Canucks, I can get a second-round pick. Yep, I think so, too. That, like, I, I mean, if there, there are enough teams interested, maybe that's the sort of uh, package you can get or a third and something else. Uh, but I'd be really surprised if they, if they somehow uh, swindled the first-round pick. Sure. But let it happen. Let Ben keep uh, blowing up the hype here on Luke Shen. There let's get go. to our Betway and get out of here. Uh, let's get Maybe our Betway. Contra- he constructs a, a Shen and a Besser propo- proposal. Hankinson working the phones. Wow. Yeah. Well, his agent's been granted uh, permission to speak to other teams for Besser. There you go. Maybe he starts throwing Luke Shen's name in there. All right. Betway bets. Uh, let's pull it up. Betway here. Uh, no Canucks game tonight. So we're rocking with, uh, and honestly, I'll be, oh, I'll be 100% honest. Sort of mailed it in this week for my Betway bets. Took a very easy way out. Uh, on this bet today, we got uh, the Boston Bruins winning against the Arizona Coyotes. <laughs> so, uh, not a huge, uh, a huge question mark on the. On what the a bets hot day favorite! No, I know it's a it's a very easy one today. So I, I went with that, uh, and maybe I forgot to put the graphic in here. So you can just uh, you can blow me up here, Alex. I'll pull up the uh, the video that I got here because I believe I forgot to put the graphic in. Um, so I'll pull this up for you real quick. Uh, this is our bet uh, for the day here quickly. There it is. The Bruins to win in regulation over 5.5 total goals uh, in this game. Uh, you get that at plus 120 over on Betway. And David Pasternak to get over 4.5 shots on net at uh, 11 or minus 118. So 
couple easy bets today. I'm not sure why that thing's... Oh, it's because it's a green screen. It's bought, like blurred out there as well. All right. That's it. Wraps it up. Anything else you want to close out here with, Harm? No, not really. Excited for a game tomorrow? Yeah. Okay. Tomorrow I'm taking off. My first game off uh, tomorrow. Oh, wow. Transfer's uh, not coming tomorrow as uh, as well, so... Mm. Going to be in uh, an emptier press box. Yeah, I feel like tomorrow is the big uh, Christmas party day for everyone. Like for their workplace, tomorrow is that day of the month. Right, that makes sense. It's the 10th of December. Get it out of the way. Get yourself the next weekend and then roll into Christmas. So uh, we're up there. We'll see you next Friday, though. And uh, thanks for coming by for another Friday here. We'll wrap things up there. Uh, For my co-host, Harmon Dial, for our technical producer, Alex Allard, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Canucks conversation. Wrap it up. Thanks for listening to Canucks conversation delivered by DoorDash. Hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. How about keep it to a thank you, Jim. Planning for your next trip. Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway. Like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.